do I feel so lonely? And man, lonely is such an awful word. Like everybody hates to be lonely. Even at the thought of it, you're probably like, man, I, I just don't want to think about it. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I don't want you to be lonely. I don't want you to be lonely. Um, there are some fr- funny phrases around being lonely. Uh, the, the most famous one is like, it's lonely at the top. Well, it's also really lonely at the bottom, okay? It feels awful to be at your low uh, and to be uh, at your worst. But uh, we're, I've been talking to a lot of people about loneliness this week and just asking people in the office, like, hey, when did you feel the most lonely? And uh, somebody told me, hey, did, did you know that there's a staff member that used to think that the phrase was not an only child, but a lonely child? And I was like, man, what, a, what an accurate but hurtful way to, to put that, um, that you think that you can't just be alone, that you have to be lonely as well. But loneliness is such a, it's a common thing. So many people are lonely. Everybody experiences lonely at a certain time, but it's not just like common, it's complex too. It's so complex that like my five-year-old, uh, we've sent him to kindergarten this week and he's like dealing with the first couple of days, it's like, hey, do you know any of your, of your classmates' names? No. I don't. <laughs> and like he went through the first day, first two days, the first three days of kindergarten without like meeting anyone, introducing himself to anybody. And he's like a pretty sociable kid that it happens there. And there's also like the complexities of loneliness of like people that have lost their spouses late in life that like there's a certain loneliness that happens there as well. And loneliness is such a broad, but also unique to you thing it's so deceptive in the way that it kind of creeps in and, and it kind of pops up in different ways and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, my definition for uh, loneliness is one that I, I was kind of working through this and then I was like, I'm just gonna type in what is loneliness? And the first thing that comes up is like a Psychology Today article that explains loneliness, what happens when people feel it, what some of the remedies are, and they describe loneliness in a similar way that what I was thinking about loneliness, and this is what it says, it's the negative emotion of the social expectations versus the perceived social reality. So that there's a gap between your desired amount of social get-togetherness, your social connectiveness, your social intimacy, and then what you perceive as reality. And we all feel that, right? Because you've maybe been alone in a crowd before, right? Like maybe you're going through something and no one in that room knows what you're going through. Or maybe you've been through transition and nobody really asks you questions about yourself anymore. There's so many situations that we'll get into in just a minute, but being alone feels terrible. It is just one of those things that like, Solitude is different because it's a choice and Jesus sought out solitude, but then like loneliness is this feeling that you get because you just don't like the way that your social gatherings are are happening. In Genesis 2.8, God has just made everything. Everything is going perfectly. He's making things and saying it's good. He's making things and saying it's good. And he continues that cycle of making things and saying it's good. And then finally, he makes Adam and he says, it's not good that you would live alone. So I'm gonna make a helper fit for you. And yes, this is, this is towards marriage, you see that, but it's also true of just in total. Like what God had created to that point was good, but the only thing that wasn't good was Adam's isolation. Adam's distance from anything that was like him. And I think we all feel that. I think we all have felt that feeling. 
But what do we do with that feeling? Where do we take it? What, how, do you, how do you, Logan talked about last week, you have, you have these thoughts and these feelings. What do, you, what do you do with those? How do you do what he talked about? What scripture says that you take thoughts captive and you make them obedient to Christ. How do you take the thought of loneliness captive and make it obedient to Christ? On Sunday night, I, I have three boys and we took, we took a walk down the street and we don't go, go very far because we have a two-year-old who's insistent on riding this little bike thing. And if you followed me on Instagram, you saw that he just, it's like this little scoot thing that it moves like a quarter of a mile an hour. It is the slowest thing on earth. So me and my wife are walking with our boys and my wife was back with our two-year-old and I'm up front a little bit further with our four and our, six, our almost six-year-old. And they're on these things called easy rollers that like whip around and they're kind of like scooters. And um, our four-year-old's quick, but our six-year-old like can go so fast. So we kind of tell him like, hey, go up to either the next sign or the next parked car and wait for us there. Like he's within distance, safe, safe road, safe neighborhood. So we're like super good with it. So I'm with Jet, my wife is with our two-year-old and Thatch has gone way far ahead. And I was pretty sure he had gone like behind a car. Like there was a parked car, I'd seen him in front of it. And then a second later, I didn't see him. So I gave it at like a three out of a 10 on the dad yell of like, Thatch, you there, buddy? And he didn't, he didn't respond, which I wasn't super worried about because I didn't see any cars coming, I didn't see any neighbors out. But Jet took that as like, he's lost forever. My brother is gone and he's nowhere to be found. And he stands up off of his deal and he's looking around and he's yelling his brother's name. But the direction that he's looking is like this, Thatcher! Thatcher, and he's looking to these hundred foot oak trees that are in our neighborhood, like he's somehow climbed like a monkey all the way up the tree. Thatch, and he's looking, I mean, he's not looking below here. I don't even know if Thatch came back into peripheral that he would have seen him. And I was just like, I, I changed from like protective dad losing my kid to like, what are you doing? You, you have no idea where your brother is lost at. And, and it was a funny moment, but then I was like, man, I think this is how we treat loneliness. We have this feeling of loneliness, and then to look for the answer, we go, loneliness? How do I fix this? And we look in spots that the answer is not. Because the places that we run in loneliness is towards isolation, we withdraw, we insulate ourselves from people, and we make the issue worse, or we run and we seek that Loneliness to be fulfilled by someone or something or anything else. But we don't know what to do with it. Because loneliness is so divisive. It comes in through so many different cracks and crevices that sneak into your life. Tell me if these are, are something you felt before. Someone made a comment to you, about you, around you. Maybe it wasn't even about you, but you took it and you took that comment personally. And then you went from a group of social gathering and people that you would call friends to I'm isolated from these people. Because of that comment, I'm not an insider here anymore. Because of that comment, I know that they don't know my story. They would have never said that if they would have thought about me. And that comment went from something that was someone trying to be funny or someone saying something off the cuff to it isolated you. It made you feel lonely. Maybe there was an event that made you feel abandoned. Maybe you had something that you were gonna do at home. Maybe you revisited home for a break and you got there and all of your other friends were there and it was like they didn't make you a priority and you felt abandoned. Maybe you showed up to an event, maybe it's something like this and no one welcomed you. 
No one said hi to you. No one made you feel welcome. No one made you feel wanted. No one made you feel like you were wanted to be there. So you were like, forget this and forget this group that I'm with around this and I'm just not going to do it anymore because they have made me feel lonely. As, to- as I was talking to people this week, one of the most common themes that I saw in people's stories in when I would ask them, hey, when did you feel the most lonely? Almost every time it was around an area of transition. They moved, they had a relationship change, they got engaged, they got married, they were engaged and then they're not anymore. They started a new job, their schedule changed. There's so many things that you can get into that it's like that transition shakes up just enough so that you don't have the same, you're not around the same people on accident anymore. When you're living in a dorm, it's like, man, I've got community on accident. I've got community because I, I walked down the hall. I've got community because I went to go get something to eat. And then when you move out into an apartment, it's just not the same anymore. Or maybe you started a relationship or maybe one of your best friends started a relationship and it's like, it's just not the same. Maybe you started a job and that schedule changed and it's different. It's just different, and it's isolating, it's lonely. Maybe there's things that you're like, I'm gonna commit to this thing, and it's a good thing. Maybe you have goals, and you gotta commit to them, and your commitment to them, a good thing, has made you feel lonely from the people that didn't commit to that good thing. Loneliness is deceptive. Loneliness disguises itself well. We either wallow in it, in retreat, or we run to something that we don't want. On, the, on that end of the spectrum, when you don't feel like you have your fulfillment in people, we all know what it looks like to just wallow in it, isolate, I haven't talked to anybody in three weeks, I haven't left my room, I've only been playing Xbox, whatever it looks like to you. Maybe it's just, maybe you've been doing things but you're just not engaging in peop- with people. Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, your loneliness has driven you to do things that you thought you would never do. What is really going on? And I'm convinced we don't know the solution because we don't really know what's happening. My first point tonight, I've got three points. The first, I'll I'll give you all three at the top. Acknowledge the feeling, acknowledge the feeling, seek the right solution, and grow your group. The first one is acknowledge the feeling. In Psalm 25, 16, and I'm, I'm so thankful for the Psalms. I'm so thankful for the Psalms because it's mostly David just crying out his heart towards God. And several times he uses the word lonely and he does that in Psalm 25. This is what he says. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive my sins. And then he says, consider how many are my foes and what the violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. But I want you to look at those first three lines. He says, I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. And he says, the trouble of my heart, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. The first thing that we have to do is acknowledge the feeling. If I don't acknowledge my feelings of loneliness, I can convince myself it is a different problem. Because it's so divisive, I can just go, no, that, that was just, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I just took that little comment as something. But ultimately, it's because I'm not connected and known by a group of people. So I am looking for that in any avenue that I can get. And then in one of those avenues, if there's a stoppage and I'm not getting that anymore, it throws me for a loop. I don't like it. I don't like the feeling. 
And it's not just a little comment that was made. There was nothing that was wrong with the little comment. What was wrong is that I have this feeling of loneliness and now I've interpreted that comment as offensive to me and I'm hurt. So in my mind, I mean, this is, this is legitimately how it has to look for me. I have to take that little hurt and most of the time it's people that are closest to me. And I have to take that little comment and go, was that really a big deal? Was it really a big deal? Is that truly something I'm gonna be offended at? Or do I need to overlook it? And then I have to look at, we talked about this last week. Logan said that your emotions are tied to your heart. They're a red flag tied around your heart. That if there are things that it's like, oh, I got angry at that, why? Oh, I got emotional, I got sad about that, why? They're not bad emotions. God created us with emotions and loneliness, I think, is one of them. But what is that feeling? Am I just upset that the comment was made or am I upset because I have a lack of intimacy, connectedness, closeness with other people and now that that's stopped, I'm hurt. We're made for that. One of the things that's so interesting is I'm doing my prep for this. I'm noting how like loneliness should push us towards things that are good. When I read that Psychology Today article, it talked about how the feelings of loneliness are meant to drive us to actions because you see the gap between what you perceive as reality and what um, you hope happens and you see the gap and the, the feeling of loneliness, what they say is meant to drive you to good, drive you to connectedness, drive you to action, to go do something about it. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I thought loneliness is really similar to hunger. Loneliness is really similar to hunger. When I get hungry, it is my body telling me that I need something good that will sustain me. It's not good to go without food. God said in Genesis 2.18, it's not good to go without other people. And I can do a couple of different things with that hunger. I can suppress it and go, Uh, I think I just ate something bad yesterday, this morning, Um, so that's why my stomach hurts. That's why I'm kind of getting this cramped feeling in my stomach, so I'm just not going to deal with it. We're not going to do anything about it. And when you think about it in terms of hunger, you're like, Jared, that's ridiculous. Like, you could go a couple of days, and then you'd be like, okay, give me anything, and I'll eat it. That we suppress our hunger, and we see it as silly, but when we suppress our loneliness, we go, you just take your time. It's a feeling that we have that's meant to drive us to something good. And so say it does drive you to something. Same with my hunger. If I don't eat anything all day and I go home and the first thing that I eat is chocolate cake and then I glass of milk and then I go visit some Oreos and then I go and I just keep visiting that pantry over and over with things that are not good for me, do you think I'm gonna feel very good? No, obviously not. That if I take that hunger, that thing, that feeling that I have within me that is a desire for something good and I fill it with something bad, it is going to have a negative effect on me because God created us for more. We understand it with our diet, but when we see it with our loneliness, it's different. On Sunday afternoon, I got home, I hadn't eaten much all day and I had something to do on my computer and um, I was like, I'm just gonna grab something small to eat and I grabbed some veggie straws that my kids had and they got the big bag from Sam's and I just, I, I sat down on my computer with, a ba- with, a, with a, that bag of, of veggie straws and I just started downing these things and this bag went from mostly full to like half empty depending on how you wanna look at it. Either way, I ate a lot and I got to about halfway through and I was like, one, I don't feel very good right now. That feeling of hunger didn't really go away that, 
we're meant to be filled up by things that are good, but I think with loneliness, we have these things in our pockets that I don't want to belabor this point because I think you know it. I think the science has been out long enough and the psychology has been out long enough for us to know that we are more connected than ever, but we are also more isolated than ever. And just because we can scroll and see our friends and see our family and see the people from our hometown and see our aunts and uncles and see the people that we love, it does not mean that we are connected close with them and have intimacy with them. In the same way that as I'm downing those veggie straws, it didn't mean that I was consuming something that was helpful and something that was good for me. That when you look at like the internet, when you look at the way that our society has shaped and changed over the last hundred years, you start to see how we as a society, even us as Americans, it's the declaration of independence. We want independence and space from the people around us. But if we don't start to acknowledge that we were made for community and we were made to be around people, we won't have the right solution because we don't know what the right problem is. And we're not admitting it. You have to admit what the problem is. Acknowledge the feeling. Created with a good desire towards life, but we deny it and we indulge in the wrong thing. And it's not good that we would live alone. The second thing, so acknowledge the feeling. The second thing is to seek the right solution. This is where the good desire should lead us to the right action. The good desire should lead us to the right action. So what's the right help for loneliness? What's the right solution? I want to read you a handful of verses and I want to explain it because I'm going to explain this. What's the right solution? The right solution is that we would be so fulfilled by God that we would stop looking at each of the relationships around us like starving people. Because I think that we have this deficiency that's only meant to be filled by God. And he gives us the body, he gives us people that they can help with that, and then we look at people and go, you've disappointed me, you've hurt me, you weren't there for me, you said the wrong thing. And ultimately it's like, you can isolate yourself and be right, but what kind of life is that? Jesus lived his life with people that were trying to prove him wrong, disciples that didn't get stuff figured out, and he just kept moving along. He kept just choosing not to be offended. He kept explaining things to the disciples. One of my favorite narratives in in the, the Gospels is to read through and figure out, like, when did the disciples figure it out? They said so many stupid things, legitimately. Like, Jesus was with a big group of people, a large gathering of people, and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you won't be able to follow me. And then then turns around to the disciples and starts explaining stuff to him, and the disciples are like, why did you say that? You had the crowd. But Jesus' focus was these people and explained to them what that meant and not the big crowd. I think sometimes we look at the big crowd and we go, we, I need that, I want that. But Jesus himself had 12 and beyond that he had three and beyond that he had one. If Jesus can only maintain that size, what do we expect ourselves to do? But ultimately we have this draw to something greater than ourselves because of what we were created to be connected with God and that's missing and I think that this point is important what's the right solution the right solution is being so fulfilled by God that we let our friends off the hook because we look at them and we expect so much from them and they're people just like me 
I can't be there for a hundred of you. I can be there for my five. I can be there for my 10 maybe. I can help maybe 30, but I just can't do it for 100, 200, 300. I just can't do it. Why? Because I'm not Jesus. So I want to read some verses to you. Acts 17, 26, and 27. This is Paul talking to a group of people in Athens, and he's explaining the gospel to them. And if you've never read it before, one of the most awesome explanations of the gospel, one of the most awesome places of witnesses and apologetics. But he says this. He says, He made from one man every nation of of mankind to live on all the faces of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Listen to this phrase, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him yet he is not actually far from each of us. That we have this desire, we have this need, we have this want that's pulling us towards something and ultimately it's God. That loneliness will never be fulfilled. It doesn't matter how popular you get. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO, the president of the fraternity. It doesn't matter if you get your perfect situation of I've got my two friends, I'm good to go, I don't need anybody else. There will be loneliness. There will be. A common thread that you hear in American Christianity is that once you find your person, both in your community and your spouse, you you won't feel loneliness anymore. And that is just not true. You can only be fulfilled in Christ because people will let you down. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 says, But now thus says the Lord, he who listened to these words and dwell on them for a minute. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom and Cush and Seba in exchange for you. There's this God who loves you, who created you, who redeems you, who says, I'll give nations for you in ransom. There is a God who loves you deeply. We started this point by talking about how each person is broken, each person's not right. But the beautiful part of the Bible is that God sees that brokenness and still chooses to love you. He sees that brokenness and says, I want you. The words ransomed and redeemed there are, he ransomed, he redeemed, he paid for you with Jesus on the cross so that you could be connected with God again. That Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the, in the, the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of the Bible. And what you see is that sin broke that. It shattered that. And Jesus comes around and fixes all of those things. He, he, he mends together all of that issue so that we can have a relationship with God again. This is the number one thing. This is really... the. the the, the place you have to begin. When you're dealing with loneliness, you have to admit that there is a God-sized issue that only he can fix. And if you haven't done that, the Bible says that if you believe and trust, if you put your heart out there and say, God, I'm broken and I want you to stand on the throne of my heart, he'll come in and save you. Seek the right solution. Logan talked last week about that, um, 
a cycle. So you have an event and then you have your thoughts and feelings and sometimes they'll spin and spin and spin and they'll whip things out to our reaction. So when it comes to loneliness, what's the first step in stopping that cycle of thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings, feelings and thoughts? It's God's truth. It's knowing Isaiah 43. No, no, no. That thought and feeling is not from God. Loneliness is deceptive. And if it's deceptive, it's from Satan. And his, his goal is not to just deceive you a little bit. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll do it through a little tiny seed called loneliness. So when you have the feeling of loneliness, you have to insert God's truth. What does God say about me? What does God say about me? What is true? What do I know is true? Not because it's my opinion, but because I've read it in God's letter to me. You have to have the right solution to find the right answer. Third and last point is this. You have to grow your group. So you have to acknowledge the feeling. You have to feel, seek the right solution, and you have to grow your group. And this could be, this could be a whole series in and of itself. There's so much to speak on here. But it, 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 this lets out the relational pressure. If things are going well, that, man, we're going to have a small group deal in a little bit. And if you didn't grab one of these, take a, take a look at it. Circle one. Fill out a connection card. Drop it off. Go talk. They're going to be up here at the end. This is going to be a big part of it. But I want you to start thinking through, like, what does my group look like right now? If you were to take the back of this page and you were to write out the places that you have influence in, the places that you are involved in, maybe one of those is here. Maybe that's church for you. Maybe you've got, you've got school. Maybe you've got work. Maybe you've got family. What are those groups? And, and one of the things that I was working through when I was thinking about this was like, I think everybody wants relationships, but you don't know where to start. You don't know where to, where to begin these things. Everybody wants those relationships that you're like, we're going on family vacation together. I can call them and send them a text uh, with just one word and it's a crack up. Like we, it's hilarious and we, we don't even have to. We've got this family group text going and it's incredible. Everybody wants that and that might be 10 years away, but are we doing the work at one year one, year two, year three, year four to start building that now? Or are you putting undue pressure on the people around you because you need them to fulfill that for you. We still need people and they need you. It is a mutual thing. My wife and I in different seasons have had to look at like, we're busy, we, 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 I do stuff at the church and she's a stay at home mom so there's not the, the avenues that there were in years past and we have to look around and go, okay, we have to work for this. We have to do things for it. We have to invest in it. We have to spend time. We have to ask people to come spend time with us and ask people how we can help them. It's do, it doesn't come as natural as it did in college when you had it on accident. We have to work towards it. We have to cultivate those relationships or they just may not happen. And people need you. One of the questions that my wife always asks, like when I'm like, man, I just don't feel like we've got that group around us like we had in years past. She, has to, she always asks this question and I hate it more every time. But she asks the question, do we, have we been the type of friends that our friends need us to be? Okay, no, most of the time. And that's where we have to start. That's where we try to start. How can we step into a group and go, hey, my goal is not for y'all to just help me. My goal is to just bless you. And there are different relationships you need to find that way. There are relationships that I have that I know that I'm getting way more than I'm, re I'm, I'm receiving way more than I'm giving. And that's gonna happen. And that's gonna happen based on age. It's gonna happen based on experience. It's just gonna happen. 
But you have to grow those things. You have to invest in them or they may just not happen. I wanna, I wanna show you two verses. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this. He said, by, all this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. He's telling a group of people, by this, this one thing, all people will know that you are my followers. He doesn't say it's by your intellect. He doesn't say it's by any other reason. He says it's by the way that you love one another. God's plan for the way that we have community, the way that we love each other is not, it'll help you a little bit and it'll be nice. It is a plan for him, for the the watching world to see us and go, I need that and I want that and I don't have that. And it'll change things for people. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, Acts is an interesting book because it's just describing what happened with the early church. And there's three things that I take away from this. They spent time together, they had transparency, and they had investment. This is what happens in Acts 2. This is just describing the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They learned from each other and to fellowship. That's just spending time together. They devoted themselves to that. When is the last time you devoted yourself to just spending time with someone? No agenda, no ulterior motive, but to just make a friend. To the breaking of bread and prayers, breaking of bread is a big word for eating together. It's awesome. The Bible is telling us that the early church learned together, spent time together, prayed together, and ate together. These are all things in your wheelhouse, I promise. But then look at the response. It says, an awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done among the, through the apostles. The way that they were living, the way that they were loving each other was forcing the watching world to go, wow. You know what's gonna be radical to the people around you? You know what's gonna be radical to your roommates and to your family is for you to be devoted to the people around you in a way that doesn't make any sense because you are so fulfilled in God. You're not looking for your friends to fulfill you, but you can fill them up because you've been fulfilled. You can invest in them because God has invested in you. And then it says, to all who believed and were together, they had all things in common. This isn't saying like, oh, Jared's a Cardinals fan, so now you're all gonna be Cardinals fans. Do I pray for it? Yes. Is it gonna happen? Probably not. But it's not saying like they have all things in common. They like Nike shoes. They like plain gray t-shirts. That's not, that's not what it's saying they're having in common. What it's saying they have in common is that whatever they had, whatever they held, they just said, okay, I've got this if anybody needs it. So all of their things were literally held in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, as any had need. They weren't listening to each other come in go because people were coming to the church broken. Orphans and widows were coming into the church not having a thing on their back and they were going, I- I've got this. It's not much, but I've got it. I can help here. I can help here. I can listen to their story. I can help. I can provide a warm meal. I can provide a bed. I can. They just came together and said, well, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. They had this common direction of We're just doing these things for God. We don't have an ulterior motive. We're holding all things in common. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with gladness, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day by those who were being saved. This is how I want to live. This is how I want our community to be. People that are just living life together, doing normal things, going, yeah, you should come on. You should come be with us. And God is adding to their number. It didn't say they added to their number. It said that the Lord added to their number. If you are just doing things the way that God wants, he will deal with your obedience with fruit. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I've just, I've done this wrong for so long. I've chased the wrong thing. I've isolated myself. I've insulated myself from anyone around me. I've sought every possible answer except transparency. There's hope for you. I wanna read Psalm 68, five and six. It says, he is the father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows. He is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary. That's a word for solitude, the alone the afflicted, the distant, the far from people. It says he settles them in a home. That consistently what we see in scripture is that God doesn't just come in and say, ah, oh, you've messed up really bad. You can have a sea level Christianity. You can have, uh, you can figure it out here. He rolls out the red carpet for the prodigal son who's run away from him, who spent his inheritance and says, you, you can have everything back. God's not waiting for you to start doing things right. He's waiting for your humility to say, God, I acknowledge that I've not been doing this right. And I want you to be Lord of everything, including my loneliness. So I'm gonna ask you to buy.